Welcome to the Calvary Lake Ozark Message Podcast. Wherever you are tuning in from today, we hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like more information about Calvary Lake Ozark, visit calvarylakeozark.com. Good morning. So glad that you guys are here. Hey, we have finally arrived at a day that my wife thought would never happen. We are at the end of Colossians. Today is our last Sunday in our study in Colossians. Next week, we'll be going into Philemon. You'll understand with the connection. And then that's only a one chapter book. So that should be most of 23. No, I'm just teasing. And then we'll head to 1 John, talking about just like the song we sang, God is love, kind of one of the main themes of 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Colossians chapter 4. And as always, if you don't have a Bible, we have one just like this, maybe without the cool sticker, uh, in the hub, and that is our free gift to you. Take one, steal one. Um, You don't need to even ask. Just go up there and grab it right off the shelf. It is our gift to you. And so we are in Colossians 4, starting in verse 7. And usually with Paul's letters, right, you always start with normally a good prayer, unless you're the Galatians, then you're just going to get kicked in the teeth. And then at the end of every letter, he always wants to give some greetings and highs and lows and just hello and how you doing type of things. When, when you're doing your Bible reading in a year, those are always kind of the ones where we skim. Can we be honest and transparent? It's like, okay, hi, a bunch of people that I can't pronounce, and then you move on to the next book. But if we, there really is a lot of, uh, we might have to dig a little bit for it, but there really is some good nuggets for us um, in these listing of names and this wrapping up the letter. And so the whole theme that we've been talking about with Colossians is Christ all-sufficient and supreme. And so now this is the final greetings. And so starting in verse 7, Paul is writing. He says, Tychicus, don't name your kid that, please. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, and they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, My fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, so not the Jesus, that was a very popular name in that day, right, so Jesus called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus? greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and their church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read, in the church of of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, there it is. Hey, all right, you you try to pronounce these. Eight o'clock in the morning over here judging me. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And so you have a listing of these guys, and a lot of times we can see this and be like, 
who are these people? You know, like, okay, Jesus we know, Paul we've heard of, a couple of the other disciples, and then you start getting some of these names, and, and some of them we don't really know a whole lot about, and some we know a little bit about. And so we're going to walk through each of these guys, and one of them's a lady, and I'm going to give you just a little bit of geek out on each one and a little bit of nugget of the example that they leave for us. And so the hope is for all of us as we're walking out this morning, we would be able to identify with one of these guys. Like, oh man, if I was, if I was in this team, this ministry team with Paul, I would probably be a lot like this individual or that individual. And so Paul is in prison. We know that. Remember, Jerron kicked us off in Colossians. He's in prison. And even when he wasn't in prison, he still had a ministry team. And so he's sending people out throughout the area, checking on churches, bringing back letters, taking letters, taking gifts and offerings, doing different things. He had a pretty good ministry team. And so even now being arrested and he's in jail, he can still operate and do ministry. And this is his headquarters, a Roman prison. And the first name is a guy named Tychicus. And in the New Testament, we have to understand how, how the writing was in the ancient culture of Israel. Uh, chronological things really didn't matter. That's why sometimes when you read one of the Gospels, it's like, when did that take place and what was that before? They're really far more about what we want to understand than really a biographical, chronological understanding of what happened. But order did matter when they were listing things. That's why anytime that you see the disciples listed out, Peter's always named first. And it makes sense because he was the leader of the apostles after Jesus ascended back to heaven. So order matters. And so when Paul is thinking about his ministry team and he's going to send greetings from them, he's kind of starting at the top per se and working his way down a little bit. And so the first name that you come to is a Tychicus. And he's mentioned about five times in the New Testament we uh, scholars believe there's an allusion, uh, a, a reference to him, so maybe even a sixth time in 2 Corinthians. But he was a ministry workhorse. Like, he was Paul's right-hand man. Meaning, the fruitfulness and the effectiveness of Paul's ministry would not have been as great as it was if it wouldn't be for a Tychicus. Like, we think of everything that Paul did, and we only get a few mentionings of this guy. But if you ask Paul, like, hey, why was your ministry so effective? He's going to tell you things like, well, the Lord, the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit, the prompts that he has given us. Well, what about your team? It's because I have a guy named Tychicus on my team. And we meet this guy on Paul's third missionary journey. Paul did four missionary journeys. His fourth is, is when he goes to Rome and he's arrested. But Tychicus jumps on the scene about the third missionary journey. He's a dear friend of Paul. So it wasn't just a ministry kind of relationship. These were good friends doing ministry together. He was with Paul in both of his Roman imprisonments. He carried the letters to the church in Ephesus and Colossae. So he carried this very letter. And I kind of wonder... As he's walking, because it would have been a hot minute to, to walk this letter, I wonder if he read it. Like, oh man, this is good. Or, oh, there's a typo. Let me fix that. No. You know, like, was he reading this and especially getting to the part, and Tychicus will tell you about my activities. And he's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Like, how cool would it be to have that letter from your mentor, your, the guy that is discipling you and leading you, and this is what he thinks of you? I mean, you have to wipe a couple tears away or whatever. It's like all of my hard work into serving the Lord through serving Paul, like he sees it. And so he carried these letters. 
He was even sent to support Timothy and Titus. They were pastors over different churches in different areas. And Paul would want to talk with one of these guys, and he says, okay, Tychicus, what I need you to do, you need to go and relieve Timothy for a while, and so Timothy could come and talk to me. Or you need to do the same thing for Titus. And you know what he did? He did it. Instead of, oh, come on, Paul, like, I want to, what's so wrong with me? Why do you want to talk to those guys? They're kind of losers. They're not even with you. But he didn't complain. At least we don't have record of it. Because it wasn't about him. It was about serving the Lord. And he, he gave himself to Paul and said, whatever you need of me, I'll do it. And that, I think, is why we have that description of him. Beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Again, he served Jesus through serving Paul in that ministry. And the beautiful part of it is he never tried to go after Paul's position. He didn't try to gain that same apostleship that Paul had. He faithfully served, honestly, as a number two. And that's a, that's a ministry position that is very difficult to come alongside the main guy and support him in his vision and the direction that he has from the Lord. Went to a conference one time, and, and I was a youth pastor at the time, and so they had all the senior pastors go in this room. You kind of want to peek through the windows, and be like, what are they talking about in there? Like, what are they doing? It was so, so secrecy. And then all of us other pastors, you know, and there was far more of us than them. I thought, we should rise up. We could overtake them. We outnumber them, right? And most of them are old, right? This would be an easy fight. But they gathered the rest of us up, and, and an individual gets up, and he leads that breakout session. And it was probably the, one of the most convicting things I've ever sat through of understanding that our position, even in supporting the lead pastor, I even walked up to him afterwards and I said, that, that wasn't even a main session and that was the best session that I've sat through this whole conference. And even flew home convicted. I walked up to my senior pastor and I said, hey, I need to apologize to you. I haven't been supporting you. I haven't been a Tychicus to you. And honestly, it was at that moment that I think the Lord really started to groom me for being a lead pastor, because I had to understand what it meant not to be in the lead role. And so we all should have this heart to be a Tychicus, that we should all aspire, that when, you know, regardless of our position and our platform and how much ministry is handed to us, whatever, I mean, it doesn't matter if we're a greeter at the door or the parking lot team, life group leader, it doesn't matter if we're on staff, we should all, when, when somebody says, hey, Nick, what's the ministry team like for you in Calvary? Oh, let me tell you about the beloved brothers and sisters that we have. Let me tell you about the faithful ministers that we have. Let me tell you about the fellow servants in the Lord that we have. See, it had nothing to do with his position. It had to do with the position of his heart. It didn't have the importance of his ministry, but the importance that he saw of his life in serving Christ. And so we should all aspire to be a Tychicus. And then he goes on, and he talks about a guy named Onesimus. Onesimus is the topic of Philemon, the book of Philemon. Onesimus is the topic of it, and so that's why we're going to Philemon next, because he was a runaway slave, and in this culture, deserved death. You run away from your master, he could kill you, and that's perfectly legal. You deserved the death penalty for that. And so he runs away from Philemon, who was his slave master, and he probably ends up in Rome, and he comes to faith in Jesus through a guy in prison, named Paul. And could you imagine like, you know, Onesimus coming across Paul and however Paul would strike up a conversation and like, hey, tell me about your life. Well, I'm actually a runaway slave. 
And Paul could say, oh, there could be a bounty on this. Like, I could make some money here. We, we need to move the ministry forward, trying to do a building project. Let's, let's turn this slave in, and we, could, we can get a blessing from the Lord. Instead, he sees the heart of Onesimus. He leads him to the Lord. And what's so great is he's going to send Tychicus and Onesimus back to the church in Colossae. And he's going to be talking to Philemon, his slave owner. And I, I think that's what that line is. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Can you imagine that walk back? Because legally, Philemon has every right to kill him. That has to be a nerve-wracking kind of walk. To walk back and think, how is he going to respond? And and. Thank the Lord that Tychicus was with him, probably a, a walk of encouragement every step of the way, getting closer to who knows what's going to happen. Tychicus saying, hey, God's bigger than all of this. You know, trust, trust, what, trust what Paul has here. Trust what the Lord has for this. But Onesimus, and I love how Paul wrote this. He says, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. Not your faithful, beloved brother. Not my faithful, beloved brother but our faithful, beloved brother. See, he was a brother with a past. Anybody here with a past? Sometimes we're not even really too uh, excited about the past that we come from and that we are just amazing living testimonies of the grace of Jesus that has taken what was just broken and horrible and transformed us. And, and we make other people that knew BC Nick or BC Jeff or whoever you would be, kind of their jaw drops like, you do what now? What is your life about now? Full of hope because of, of Jesus. But a lot of us, we're that brother with the past. And even in, in church or whatever, we can know something sometimes when we hear other people's stories. And we'll even say that, like, have you heard his story? Like what he came from? Or have you heard about what she's lived through? Like she's got a testimony. And that's for the good at times to build up the body, but other times we, as we're building a community of faith, see a lot of us brothers with pasts, we, we have to struggle through letting go of the identity of who we were and our brokenness and our sin. And the hard part, what happens at times in community of faiths like this at church is that I might be okay letting go of my past, but is the community of faith okay with that too? Or do they look at me and think, oh yeah, you know what Nick used to do? Yeah, just wait, give it time. He'll fall right back into it. And we have this kind of buffer between us and them because of their past. Paul wouldn't see it that way. See, we, we talk about our identity in Christ and who we are there, but are we viewing other people the same way? That can we come out of any past brokenness and hurt and grief and sin? Yes, there's power in Christ for us to overcome that but there's also power of Christ for us to overcome that on behalf of others, that we wouldn't even look at each other differently because of our past brokenness. That it's not just looking at our own identity in Christ, but we need to look at each other's identity in Christ, knowing that that person that did all those horrible things, they're dead and gone. And the person before me is alive in Christ, that they are a new creation, do we have that kind of view for each other? And so for Onesimus, he's an encouragement of transformation by the gospel of Christ for ministry, meaning nobody's too far gone past grace to be saved and to be useful and effective in ministry. 
And that's what we'll talk about next week is his name means useful. And so nobody's too far gone past grace. It's not just, oh, we just need to get them in the doors and they can sit there because I know what they did. No. And I struggled with that. Me and my wife both did. We had a pastor tell us, hey, you guys should really consider youth ministry. We're the last people you want influencing your kids. Have you heard our past? Like, we're disqualified. Like, we're, we're the testimony of, like, everything that you're supposed to not do. Yeah, we did that. And he said, no, no, you guys have been transformed by the blood of Jesus. You're the greatest people that we want influencing our teens to show them grace in real life, to show Jesus and the power of his transforming grace and love. Like, that's what we want our students to see. And so Onesimus is that encouragement for all of us for ministry. And as followers of Jesus, if you don't know this, we're all in ministry. You might be a faithful servant, and let's be honest, you might be a faithless servant. You might be fruitful or fruitless. You might be effective, you might not be effective. But we're all in ministry. Under, understand, we all have influence for good and for bad. Jesus calls us to be fruitful and effective in our ministry. And then we get to a guy named Aristarchus. He was with Paul. Remember when Paul, there was a riot in Ephesus because he said, hey, we don't need idols anymore. And all these people quit buying idols and all the tradesmen that were building the idols said, okay, we're gonna kill the guy that is hurting our market right now. Like nobody's buying, let's kill the guy that's getting everybody not to buy our stuff. And so there was a big riot coming after Paul. Well, Aristarchus was right there, locked arms with Paul. And then also he was with Paul when he was shipwrecked, traveling to Rome. So on that fourth missionary journey, there was a shipwreck. Yeah, Aristarchus is with him. And then he was with Paul in his imprisonment. Do you see the common language? He was with Paul in the hard, difficult moments of Paul's life and his ministry. And see, we as humans were prone to desert when times, not like desert like pie and cake, but to run away when times get hard and difficult. When we really get tested, a lot of times we run. And the problem with running is it's hard to stop. Because once you start, it's hard to stop running. Because we just want to run away from our problems. We just want to put our head in the sand, let the storm pass, but that's not what we're called to do. And so here we have Aristarchus with Paul. No matter how hard it got, he didn't leave. And it happened to Jesus. Jesus was deserted at the cross. None of his disciples but one stood there. It was only the women that really stayed at the cross. Even happened to Paul. He writes in 2 Timothy 4.16 that everybody's deserted me. I'm, I'm here alone. He'll talk about Luke, but that's about it. Everybody has walked away from me. And so there's times in ministry for us that someone that we love or somebody that's in our community of faith or maybe somebody that we're trying to reach out to, we're going through a really difficult time. And we can be prone to think, oh, we just want this to, to go over quick. Like, I just want them to get through this. Like I, and so we'll pray like, Lord, take this difficult situation away. But remember last week we talked about where does our faith grow the most? When did we really find the Lord and, and the cupcakes and rainbows and, and glitter of life? No, in the valleys. Where did our faith grow the most when times got difficult? So why would we pray for these difficult situations to be taken away from somebody if they're gonna be the things that grow them or brings them to the Lord? Sometimes we pray that so we don't have to walk through it with them. 
this is too difficult for me. I don't want to deal with it. So Lord, if you could just take this away, that would really help me. That's selfishness. That's not what the Lord wants maybe for their life. And when we're walking with people, that's the key with them. I don't know what to say. They're going through a life. Maybe you're not supposed to say anything. Take that as a hint. If you don't know what to tell somebody that's going through a hard time, maybe flapping the gums isn't the ministry that the Lord has for you. But don't overlook the ministry of presence. Just sit with them. Weep with them. I mean, that's almost scriptural. Weep with those that weep. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid to sit in the dark valleys of somebody else's life. You'll never, never truly understand that ministry of presence until you're there. And not just for them, but for us. Like when I was diagnosed, we had a good friend. I called him the, that night before I was supposed to go in for emergency surgery. And I said, hey, I, I got to drive to the hospital for an hour. Tomorrow, we got to get there at 5 a.m. Like, can you be praying? And he said, what can I do? He goes, can I just drive? Can I drive you and Ashley to the hospital? Sure. And his, so he took off work to drive us to the hospital. His wife took off work to stay with our kids. And the whole ride there, you know what we talked about? Not a darn thing. It was silent the whole way. Then we get into the pre-operating room. They're getting me ready for surgery. And then we're joking. Almost sounded like a locker room talk. A few times the nurse is like, you guys okay in there? Yeah, we just, we're there. And then even when I was in surgery, I asked my wife later, I said, what did you and Josh talk about when you guys were just waiting? She said, nothing. It was just the ministry of presence. What do you say in situations like, just be there. Just be there. When somebody looks over, your presence speaks louder than anything else that you could say to them. And a lot of times we think, oh, I just need to cheer them up. You don't need to cheer them up. Hold them up. Encourage them. Keep praying for them. And the Lord's good enough. You know how, Lord, how good the Lord is? When we have emotions that are so deep that we can't even put words to, you ever been in a situation like that? Have you ever had a season of life that's so hard that you don't, I don't even know how to articulate the hurt, the pain, the struggle that I'm in? Scripture says that the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf, that he hears what we can't even put in emotions, that he hears our pain and our hurt, and he prays on our behalf. So sometimes just sit with those that are weeping and hurting and to say, Lord, I don't even know what to say, but to send your Holy Spirit to pray on behalf of what I'm just, what we're just feeling, but never overlook the ministry of presence. Then we get to a guy named Mark. This is John Mark of the Bible, not John Mark sitting here, John Mark of the Bible. This is the greatest John Mark. This is the second greatest John Mark to ever walk through. There you go. You can pay me later. All right. So Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. Barnabas, uh, if you remember, was with Paul on one of his missionary journeys, a couple of them. Um, and then great encourager, Barnabas, just a stud of the New Testament. Well, this is his cousin, Mark. Tradition holds. So you remember when Jesus was in the upper room, they were washing feet of the disciples and they had the last supper and all that. That was Mark's dad's house. See, Mark was an early believer in the early church. Mark was at the garden when Jesus was arrested. You can read that. Uh, there's a couple verses that talk about when the uh, guards seized some of the young men around that one of them slipped out of his cloak and ran away naked and afraid. Yeah, that's John Mark. That was him. Could you, and he's the one that wrote that. Like, that's an embarrassing detail. Like, if I was telling my testimony, 
of like, okay, wh what did you do when Jesus was arrested? Why well, I, I pulled out a sword and I cut off a guy's ear. Well, what about you? Well, I, somebody grabbed my cloak and I ran away naked. Like, I would have left that detail out, right? Or we're just telling the truth. And so Mark, early believer, most likely the Colossians, the church here, knew Barnabas. And so he's like, hey, you know Barnabas? This is his cousin. The problem with Mark is he deserted Paul and Barnabas in Pamphylia in the, on the first missionary journey. And you can read about that in Acts 13. And that when he walked away, it actually came right after a very fruitless time of ministry. It wasn't like everything was going gangbusters and, you know, it was huge and all these people were coming. It was actually in a really hard time of ministry. Most likely he got discouraged. Most likely he let it get to him. Like, really, I gave up everything to come on this journey and like, we're not even seeing it like nothing. I'm just going back home. And then when they went for their second missionary journey, like, all right, I'll give it another shot. And Paul's like, no, if you, you walked out, you walked out. And it was such a disagreement that Paul and Barnabas split. And John Mark went with Barnabas, and Paul took a couple other guys. And so even in that disagreement, I think the Lord was working and moving. And we know later that he's restored, obviously, because he's mentioned here, and you even see it in 2 Timothy. And he wrote the Gospel of Mark, which is Peter's accounts of the Gospel. And so John Mark kind of has a bad name in Scripture. But understand, this guy was a New Testament stud. He knew Jesus. We see that from the garden experience to at least that. So most likely he was around with the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. So understand what he witnessed there, right? Then he's in ministry with Paul and Barnabas, two huge studs of the New Testament. And then he writes Peter's account of the gospel. Like this was the most trained guy for ministry. Like he rubbed shoulders with some of the greats of the New Testament, but all we remember him for is leaving Paul and Barnabas in ministry. But what I love about John Mark and his presence even here is he's an encouragement of transformation by the gospel of Jesus in ministry. See, Onesimus was that encouragement for ministry. Mark is that encouragement in ministry. Why? Because what about all of us that are following Jesus and we are in ministry and we are trying to serve him? Anybody ever make a stupid decision? Anybody do anything that you wish you wouldn't have done because you're a follower of Jesus? Anybody ever look back at their life and think, that's not how I was supposed to act because of Jesus? I should have said something, or maybe I shouldn't have said something. I should have kept that mouth shut. Maybe I should have done that, or I wish I wouldn't have done that. That happens in ministry. Why? Because we're all still sinful and broken. We're still in this struggle against the old flesh and this new creation. And we're going to put our foot in our mouth. It happens every Sunday here. So take heart. It's okay, right? If, like, if my pastor does that, then there's grace for me as well. But Mark is that encouragement in ministry. That there's going to be times that we miss it. And what do we do? We just look for the next opportunity. Because we never hear again how John Mark failed Paul. And there's multiple times here and in 2 Timothy that Paul says, hey, bring John Mark, bring Mark with you. He's useful, there's something we can do, there's ministry for him. So never think that you're disqualified. Now, will your ministry change depending on what happens? Yeah, there is some truth to that. There is some truth to that. But if we're not too far gone past grace to be saved, we're not too far gone past grace that we could mess up and God can still redeem 
even through our failures. And if you don't believe me, study John Mark's life a little bit more. And then you get to a guy named Justice, and here, literally a no name in the Bible. This is the only reference to him. We have no idea about him. But at the end of the day, his name's still in the New Testament. It's still there. You know, we, we hear of, like, war heroes on whatever different war it would be. And specifically, just talk about, like, the Vietnam War. You hear about these heroes and different things that they did and the battles they were in. But when you go to that wall, there's still names listed there. And every one of them is a hero. Why? Because they stood and they fought. And what, I love that line, all gave some and some gave all. So even if the only thing that's written in history was, man, my name right there because I stood the line, you're a hero. And we might not have anything else about this Jesus called justice, but your name was here. And if your name is in this book, where else do we want our name? And if that's the greatest thing that I have in ministry is that my name's going to be written in the Lamb's book of life, that's good enough for me. And my name's not even that great because they're going to, Revelation tells us that we get a new name. It's like, I don't even want to put Nick in there. Like, I know that guy. Let me give you a new name. Let me rename you to better fit who you are. But justice, no name in the Bible. We have no idea. Then we have Epaphras. He shared the gospel in Colossae. He's probably the most likely one that planted this church. But look at his heart for this church. Look at his heart, not for the building, but for the people. Struggling in prayer that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. When I first came to Calvary, a lot of people are asking me, what's your vision for the church? Like, what, what, what do you think the Lord has for us? Stay open. <laughs> Key words right there. That was my vision for the church when I came. It was two years ago in November. We've just celebrated two years. What was the vision for the church? Stay open. This is my vision for the church. Like, if, if you had to boil it down, that we would stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Not a new program, not a new endeavor, not a new ministry. No, for us as believers in Jesus that we would stand mature. Well, if we're going to stand mature, then we have to grow and become mature. And I'm not calling us immature, but I also am. Because has anybody arrived yet? Anybody there? Fully matured in Christ? Okay, good. If you raised your hand, God was going to smite you right there. No. No, we want to stand mature. We want to grow and become mature. And we want to be fully assured in all the will of God. And that's a hard question. What's the will of God then for my life? I don't know. I know what the will of God is for us as a church. Love him, love others, impact the world. That's why it's our mission statement, because that's the will of God for our life. And I love Epaphras. I want to be a pastor like Epaphras. You know, one of the greatest encouragements I got coming into pastoral ministry, everything that you're going to do, don't lose sight of this. Like, if you had to boil down, what's it like to be a pastor? Feed the flock, protect the flock, and love the flock. If, I, if I'm going to do anything in ministry, I want to feed the flock, the word of God. I want to protect the flock from any outside attacks, inside attacks. We're going to stay true to the word of God and love the flock. Love them. It's the same thing Jesus told Peter. And a lot of times, we struggle with that. You know, we want to be the best teachers and preachers. We want to be dynamic and loud and holler. And you can see the Instagram reels of all those kind of guys. That's just not me. I'm just going to be me and who God's called me to be. I might not be the best leader either. I might mess up on something. But thank the Lord, that's not what he's called me to be. What's, what's the top of the job requirement? Feed the flock. Protect the flock. 
love the flock. And he uses those terms. Why? Because he's the great shepherd. And we're called to be under shepherds. That's, that's literally what the term pastor means, is a shepherd. And if Jesus is the great shepherd, I want to be the under shepherd. And it's even a reminder for us to not lose sight of who the Lord is for us. Because a lot of times we want, we want Lord the healer. You know, the Lord is my healer. The Lord is my problem solver. The Lord is my... No, the Lord is our shepherd. Understand the role. And so there's a lot of times, and it happens in churches, okay? Let's just be honest. Ah, I'm just not getting anything out of that. Or I, the pastor did this, and I wish he wouldn't have. Or he's not doing this, and I think he should, and da, da, da. He's your shepherd. And I know it's kind of awkward because I'm that guy here talking about that. But I don't care if you go to Calvary, if you go to another church, you're just watching online because there's nothing else going on on YouTube. Submit yourself to your pastor. He's your shepherd. And understand his role is to feed the flock, protect the flock, and love the flock. If he does those well, you're being shepherded. And that is the heart that Epaphras had for his people, that he would struggle in prayer. I didn't understand that. My senior pastor used to tell me, you'll never know what it's like until you're in the role. And I always wanted to tell him, hey, I think you're stupid. I think you're just old and you can't hack it anymore. Being real and transparent. And I've told him this, so it's okay. And if you, you don't need to call him up and be like, you know what my pastor said about you is his pastor? He knows this. And what I found out is, oh, how right he is. Please know I struggle in prayer for you guys. Might be your first Sunday here. I struggle in prayer for you. And not even just Calvary as a church. But if we really want to make an impact in the lake area and beyond, we don't need Calvary to be the healthiest and the biggest and the greatest. We need healthy churches in the lake that love the Lord, that love his word, that will stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That we really are as pastors struggling in prayer with you guys. It wakes me up at night thinking about you guys. And I know some of the situations and the issues and the loss and the pain and the hurt, but I want to weep with you. And then I hear the, the joys and the rejoicing and how the Lord is moving and working, and I want to rejoice with you. The only, the only thing I ask is, sometimes I don't know what I don't know. And so if you're going through a really dark season and you're wondering, like, why doesn't Nick reach out or why doesn't one of the pastors or the staff do something? Nine times out of ten, we probably just don't know. And you're not nagging us. You're not bothering us. You're giving us an opportunity to fulfill the calling that is on our heart. Let us be who God has called us to be. Don't, this is the line that always impacted me, don't rob us the blessing of being that encouragement to you. No matter how big, no matter how small, just like when we talk about with the prayer, we want to be bothered. We want, how can we continue to struggle and pray? And so fill out a prayer card, fill out the connect card, come and talk to us, please. We have five minutes, and I got all these kind of people to talk about. Luke. Luke joined Paul and Trous during the second missionary journey. Um, some believe that he's the man from Macedonia. You know, remember when Paul had that dream, and the man from Macedonia said, hey, come over here and help us. Some people believe it was him. Um, he was with Paul on the third missionary journey, Paul in Rome during his imprisonment. Luke was martyred at 84 years old. They hung him from an olive tree. 
He wrote the, obviously the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts, which makes up almost 30% of the New Testament. And he was a Gentile, the only Gentile author of scripture. What I love about Luke is he was still with Paul, even in his imprisonment, when he said, hey, everybody's deserted me, but, but Luke is with me alone, that he never left, he never walked away. And when you're reading, I think it's in um, Acts 16, Luke is writing, uh, and he's using past tense, they did this, they did that, da, da, da. and then all of a sudden he says, and then we went down, and then we went. So, it shows that Luke just jumped right into ministry, right where they were at. They didn't wait for the trip to get done and, hey, I'll, I'll catch the next cruise. He just jumped in right where he was at. And I think that's the encouragement for us. Just jump into ministry right where you're at. And please know we're already all in ministry, but let's jump into fruitful, effective ministry. You don't have to wait until the next life group session to sign up. You don't have to wait to, you know, I'll wait until January and then I'll sign up to be a part of a team. No, just jump into ministry right, right where you're at and jump into ministry right where we're at. You know, if there's, if there's a ministry that's like, you know, we should really have this. Great, jump into ministry where you're at and where we're at and let's grow and let's talk about that. But it's kind of hard to build ministries when we don't have people. So just jump into ministry. And then Demas, nothing positive said here but a greeting. We know later that he will desert Paul in ministry. He will desert the faith. 2 Timothy 4.10 says that Demas was in love with this present world. Don't lose your love for Jesus. Specifically, don't lose your first love because you're trying to do good things. Don't replace your love for Jesus for the ministry that he's given you understand the role. I always kept a, a piece of paper in my school binder when I was in school, Bible college and seminary, and it was just four words, and they were in order of importance. God, family, ministry, school. Anytime I got those out of whack, anytime that I had one of those prioritized where it should have never been, or one where it should have been and it wasn't, my life was in chaos. So don't fall back in love with the world. Don't walk back into the grave. Don't be a Demas. And then we have an individual named Nympha. We don't know male or female because of how the word, if it's a Nymphus or Nympha, uh, some Bibles will say him, others say her. Mine says her, we're going with her. Church in her house, most likely very well off to be able to host a big gathering, so very wealthy. And I love that because the home is such a key component of discipleship, not just for our kids, but for one another. So use what God has given you. You know, just like Moses. Moses did not like the call that God had upon him. He goes, I don't have what you need. And God says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? A staff. Okay, you have everything that you need to lead. Right now, all of us in ministry have everything that we need for the ministry that God has for us. So say it this way. If you have an idea, think, oh, you know what we could do if I only had, if I only had $3 million, you know what we could do? Well, there's a reason I don't have $3 million, and that's probably a good sign that that's not the ministry that God wants me to do. Now, will he lead and guide and provide? Absolutely. But he always gets a guy moving first. And so you have everything that you need for ministry. And then the last, Archippus, son of Philemon, why we're going to Philemon, the church met in his house, and those little words, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. See, ministry is not just for the Lord. I'm doing all this because I want to serve the Lord. Ministry is not just for the Lord. It is, 
but it's a ministry that comes from the Lord. See, the Lord is the one that is giving us opportunities to be in ministry for him. And sometimes that ministry is not for the person we're supposed to reach out to. Small conversation, a little bit of encouragement, a ministry to lead or a team, but it could be for you. That this ministry, for you to go and sit with the weeping and the hurt and the oppressed, yes, for them, but also for us. See, Jesus has something for you. And if we're in ministry, I believe that we all have that. See, Jesus has something for us, for our heart, our mind, that he's not going to reveal in another Bible study, that he's not going to reveal in another time of corporate worship or prayer. He's not going to reveal this in a time of meditating and and thinking and processing or a prayer walk. He's going to reveal it in a time of ministry, in a time of serving. And when you look at those that are God has called you to reach. There's so much that we can learn about the Lord in those times and serving those that he's called us. And so these are the men that have gone before us. And what's beautiful is now is our time that we as a ministry team get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus just like this. And so there's a few names that I would encourage you. That's who we should be. There's a couple names. Yeah, let's not be him. Why? Because the Lord is worth it. He is faithful, and it gives us an example for us to be faithful in response to his faithfulness to us. And so I encourage you, read back through those names again, identify, you know what, who, who am I? Who, do I? who do I want to be? Who is God calling me to be? And lean into that. If there's anything that we could do as pastors and staff to encourage in that, just let us know. We would love to walk with you through that and in that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We trust you. We just thank you for this time together, Lord. Thank you for an opportunity to see a ministry team in different roles and responsibilities, but the unity that they have, that your word, that your name would be praised, your word would go forth. And we are beneficiaries of that very ministry there. And so I pray, Lord, that we in that same heart of unity, that same heart of faithfulness to serve you, that we would be a bunch of Tychicus and Aristarchus, that we would serve with the giftings, the talents, the opportunities, the resources that we have. All for you, all for your glory, Lord. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.